We've got Murders in Bemidji. Today I'm talking about first episode of Fargo. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. movie friends welcome to scott's self-indulgent movie podcast i am scott and today we are talking about season one episode one of fargo the crocodile's dilemma now i know this is a bit different than what i normally do but i think that the show fargo especially because it's an anthology series so it's a lot of condensed uh you know single stories told over the course of a single season it's very cinematic in its approach uh you know because everything kind of builds and then it's just kind of cutting off and there's these nice little turns and it's directly based on you know loosely based on the film of the same name so i wanted to give it a go so we're going to do an episode by episode breakdown starting with episode one which is the crocodile's dilemma the 1996 film fargo is one of the most universally acclaimed crime films of the decade if not film history It features a charming-as-hell Academy Award-winning performance from Frances McDormand before that became an every-other-year affair, a number of perfectly cast people as bumbling criminals, including William H. Macy, Peter Stormare, and Steve Buscemi, and the Coen's signature darkly funny approach to a tale of kidnapping and murder. And that's before we get to signature scenes and elements, such as our lead detective being a pregnant woman who barfs due to morning sickness and not not a murder scene, the accents, and of course the wood chipper. Almost 20 years later, novelist and screenwriter Noah Hawley decided to do something seemingly illogical and ambitious. He started an anthology series based on the film, set in the same fictional universe, and the end result is some of the most compelling and acclaimed television in recent memory. So much so that I decided I needed to do an episode-by-episode breakdown. So today I'm going to start my journey through the series with the premiere episode from Season 1. Episode 1, The Crocodile's Dilemma. Let's start with the plot. Taking place in January 2006, the episode opens with hitman Lorne Malvo, though we don't get his name yet, played by Billy Bob Thornton, as he drives his car and hits a deer. The impact causes him to crash, and a man in his underwear pops out and runs away. From there, we meet the people Malvo is going to interact with or affect throughout the episode, including the perpetually picked-upon Lester Nygaard, played by Martin Freeman, who ends up in the same ER as Malvo, and complains about his high school-turned-adult bully, Sam Hess. Malvo decides to take out Hess, and Lester is clearly distraught that it could lead back to him. Meanwhile, the cops, including Chief Vern Thurman and Deputy Molly Salverson, investigate Malvo's car, the nearly naked dead man, and then Sam Hess's murder scene as well. But everything comes to a head when Lester kills his wife in a rage, calls Malvo to help him, and is discovered by Chief Thurman. Though Thurman quickly gets a gun on Lester, he is shot and killed by Lord Malvo in the back. Lester runs himself into a wall to give himself an alibi, but discovers a piece of buckshot that killed the chief in his hand. Meanwhile, Malvo is pulled over in Duluth for missing a stop sign, and intimidates the officer, Gus Gus Grimley as played by Colin Hanks, into letting him go with a warning, by implying he'll let him go if he he'll kill him if he doesn't let him go. So let's start with the Fargo elements. Fargo the show is masterful at capturing the spirit of the source material while forging its own path. Much like the film, the tone of the show is a predominantly dark comedy, where the horrific violence is undermined by the cartoonish accents or strange visuals. For instance, some man in his underwear popping out of a car trunk in the middle of nowhere. 
And while we don't know that this takes place in the same universe as the movie yet, this is a great starting point. And I'll certainly keep track of these these uh, tangential connections moving forward. But for the first episode, like many shows' first episodes, this is about setting the tone. Or in Fargo's case, throwing out expectations. So let's start with the title. Something I found fascinating once I started research on the show is how each episode in the first season is a reference to a logic problem, either a paradox, or a religious test or lesson from Jewish and Buddhist traditions. For instance, The Crocodile's Dilemma is the name of a famous logical paradox with a very absurd setup, but it makes sense in context. Here's the description I found on Wikipedia. The premise states that a crocodile, who has stolen a child, promises that the parent that his or her child will be returned if, and only if, he or she correctly predicts what the crocodile will do next. The transaction is logically smooth but unpredictable if the parent guesses that the child will be not be returned. But a dilemma arises for the crocodile if the, if the parent guesses that the child will not be returned. In the case that the crocodile decides to keep the child, he violates his terms. The parent's prediction has been validated, and the child should be returned. However, in the case that the crocodile decides to give the child back, he still violates his terms, even if this decision is based on the previous result. The parent's prediction has been falsified, and the child should not be returned. The question of what the crocodile should do is therefore paradoxical, and there is no justifiable solution. In relation to the show, <laughs> I'd argue that Lester is the parent, who's been given the choice whether or not he wants Sam Hess killed by Lord Malvo. While it's clear later that Lester lacks the moral character to say no, or will say yes eventually, it's heavily implied that Lester is going to do whatever, that Lorne, sorry, is going to do whatever he wants to do, regardless of what Lester says. If he says no, Lorne will probably wink and nod or try to talk Lester into saying yes. If he says yes, then he's got blood on his hands. Lester does the only thing he thinks he can do, and says nothing, refusing to engage with the question because it's unwinnable. And in a way, he's right, but he's also wrong. Hence, a paradox. Now, this particular episode is interesting in relation to the movie because it's a double misdirect. One of the things I find so masterful about this opening episode is how it uses the audience's previous knowledge of the film and its actors to its advantage in particular with Lester and Vern. Casting Martin Freeman as Lester Nygaard, as video essayist Curio put it, it is a great way to tell the audience, hey you, relate. At first, it's very easy to feel sorry for him because his life feels awful. This episode spends so much time hammering home how meek, disappointing, and irritating his day-to-day -day existence is. His high school bully still bullies him and talks about the sex he had with his wife when they were in high school while using racial slurs. His wife nags him constantly for not making enough money and not having enough ambition. Annie's younger brother, who seems to have it all, including a beautiful wife and a kid, and way too much disposable income, talks down to him. Everyone keeps telling him he needs a change, and we're hoping and praying that he's able to turn things around. His irritation and churning frustration is perfectly mirrored by his busting washing machine that clangs like it has rocks in it. So when Malvo comes along and murders his bully, he's kinda happy about it, and even gets a pep in his step and tries to fix the machine. But it doesn't work. And his wife lays into him again. And then he murders his wife. And I literally gasped when this happened. 
I figured something like this could happen, but to watch Freeman, a perpetual everyman, murder his wife in a rage in such a violent way was truly shocking. And while he's clearly shaken by it, we also see his real character. He calls Malvol for help and then plans on killing him and blaming the murder on him. And it's in this moment that fans of the film will realize who Lester is. He's based on William H. Macy's Jerry Lundergaard, which becomes clear when Lester crosses paths with Vern and Lorne Malvo in a terrible turn of events. So let's move to Vern. Vern is a great misdirect because he'll remind you of Marge Gunderson. We'll see that he's a good chief, he points out little elements Molly misses at crime scenes, tells her she'll be chief one day, and is very kind to his pregnant wife who can't decide on a paint color for the baby's room. When his wife tells him he's a good man as they go to bed, we'd be hard-pressed to disagree. The shots with him and his wife actually directly recall Marge snuggling in with her husband in the original film, which makes his death at Lorne Malvo's hand so tragic. He was doing what a good guy does, doing a house call on the way back home from the paint store to give Molly a break. And he's coldly gunned down, in the back, by Malvo. Molly's guilt is palpable, and the image of Molly arriving with the paint cans at her his house is heartbreaking, and that's a hell of a one-two punch to give your audience before the episode's end. Which brings us to the episode's actual end and the force behind this season's events, Lorne Malvo. Lorne Malvo is the answer to a question. What if the characters of Fargo met Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men? For a quick refresher, Anton Chigurh is the villain of No Country for Old Men, played to Oscar-winning perfection by Javier Bardem. Simply put, he is evil incarnate. He murders countless people on and off screen, seems to wellish it when he does murder, and behave like he's a force of the universe versus a man choosing to do awful things. And Lorne Malvo is a lot like him, including his penchant for murders, his incredible ability to escape harm, and an awkward bowl cut. But there's one big difference. While Anton Chigurh is evil personified that's meant to put our lead characters on their heels, either morally or existentially, Lorne Malvo enters the series like a sentient predatory virus. We'll be revisiting the predator-prey angle a lot more as the season rolls on, since Malvo loves to talk about wolves and shit, but he starts like a moral infection sent to test the citizens of Midgey and Duluth. And Lester is his starting point. It's a running motif that Malvo makes quick and very accurate reads on people, especially people he feels like he can push around or manipulate. And Lester is an easy target. When he meets Lester, he sees what we've already seen, a frustrated man who's easily pushed around. Which is why what he does next is so sinister. He pushes him around about being pushed around. And then he offers to kill Lester's bully, Sam Hess. Just say yes or no. And while Lester says that they're just talking, he doesn't say no. From there, the floodgates start to open as Malvo sizes up Sam Hess, kills him for seemingly for no reason, and then suggests to a distraught Lester that he should show his wife who's boss. Billy Bob Thornton's performance in these scenes are amazing because you can see the subtle shifts and s smiles he flashes, like he's really proud of what he's going to get this guy to do. He loves to create chaos. He's even got the same haircut as Anchan Chigurh. And as awful as the scene where Malvo murders Chief Thurman is, his most chilling moment ends this episode. After quietly fleeing the murder of Chief Thurman, Malvo is pulled over by Colin Hanks' Officer Grimley, 
In a scene very reminiscent of No Countries for Old Men's call-it scene at the gas station, Malvo implies that Grimley should let him go and, or, and go home to his daughter or else he'll end up dead. The reason that this scene is so bone-chilling isn't just that we know Colin Hanks' life is on the line, but how Malvo uses Grimley's humanity against him. Malvo can manipulate people like Lester at will. He can spot a fractured ego from a mile away and can pander to it. He's using his biggest weakness against him, though. But with Grimley, he's using his humanity, his daughter, to morally compensate him. Because to Malvo, that connection is weakness, too. And after this episode, we can only hope he's wrong. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time, everybody. Stay safe. Bye.